Bigger picture here is us exemplifying our wonderful Redeemer in the lives of those who we're working with. We are called to be ambassadors. I would like for us to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 and read that passage. It says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you can remember back to the time when you got a new job, but if it was a job that was any different from the previous job that you had, but even if it was a similar role, just at a new place, the change of mindset that had to occur when you got into that new role, or maybe you were promoted at work, when you went back to that place of employment or you arrived on that new scene, there were a different set of probably responsibilities, people maybe that you reported to, if it was a new organization now, you had to convey the new mission of the new organization to that new group of people. And that is essentially what this passage is saying to us is that we started with this life that for the first however many years of life you lived before you were saved, you were serving one master, but now because you have been reconciled to Christ, you have a new master. This idea of being an ambassador is being a representation of the one who you belong to now. And you speak on his behalf. Your message is different. The way that you communicate is different. Everything is different because now you are reporting to somebody different. And I think that that should kind of, that should alert us to when we go into conversations with people or when we're trying to help them realize a certain aspect of their life, there is a, there's a little bit of pressure on us to make sure that what we are communicating to them and the advice that we're giving to them is coming from the right source. If it's not coming from your Bible, God's words and how we should deal with the matter, there's a really good chance that because of the old man still residing in us, that we're giving bad, bad advice. So from that point of view, it is important for us to know the message that God has for us. We're always thinking and asking, what does my Lord want us to communicate to this person in this situation? By the way, I know we talk about these things, but I want you to think of examples because it will help you um, relate to these points or understand these points better. What's in Matthew 5? Sermon on the Mount, right? What is the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, the Beatitudes are in there. There was, at that point, competing ideas where it was the Pharisees saying, this is what it looks like to live like a Christian. And God, uh, Christ says, no, actually, this is what it looks like. That's advice from man versus, no, this is what it actually looks like from God. Is our message lining up with what God says is what matters? So understanding what his message is. This is why the, this is the importance of, this is why it's important for us to make sure that we know God's word. It's not just about just what can it can do to change our hearts. If it stops with that, we're not doing what God has called us to do. God did not save you for you just to get better. 
God saved you so that now you can be a representation of him in the lives of others. But if you don't know God's message, you're not going to be able to fulfill that duty that he's given to you. So it's important for us to know what we need to communicate to this person, whoever that person is, in any given conversation. The second one there, the methods. <clears throat> Luke 10, 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. The methods of the king. This is the how behind it. How does the Lord change in our lives? How does he work change in our lives? What are his methods? I want to work as he has worked. <laughs> You know, it's not just, I'm not just making grand pronouncements about all the things that I see in your life that are wrong that you need to change. That's not how God works with us. And so the methods, we need to represent his methods. And the last one there where he needs to represent the character of the king. So Philippians 2, 1 through 12, it is Christ's example, the main Philippians 2 well-known passage. But do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition, but in humility. We have the example given earlier about Christ and how he came. Count others more significant to your, more significant than yourselves, who just being like Christ humbled himself and came to earth. Am I working in the life of another person on behalf of the king the way that he works with me or the way that he acts, the way that he responds there? Are we representing the king the way that he desires for us? This illustration here just to capture what it means to function like an ambassador in the life of another person. On the left-hand side, I recognize in somebody else's life that negative fruit. It could be something like gossip or anger or bitterness or whatever it is. I recognize that there's negative fruit in that person's life. And what we typically do is we try to put the Band-Aid over it and fix it with a some sort of strategy. And that may work for a little bit, but in the long run, there is no lasting heart change. And that's where at the bottom there, we want to attack, which sounds pretty strong, but we want to attack the heart and make sure that the heart is the thing that we're correcting there, that is what is going to lead to that positive, positive fruit. So now, how do we do that work? Very similar and reflective of our wonderful counselor. Well, we, we are an instrument by behaving and doing the things that are there in the bubble. And so love, know, speak, and do, that's what we're going to focus on here primarily. These are the things that as we, as we work in the life of another person, these are the way that God's going to use us. These are the, I mean, they're steps, but again, this isn't like I one, two, three, four, five. Am I doing these things? Am I responding this way to this person? Because this is modeled for me the way that Christ deals with me. First one, heart change. For heart change to actually happen, to actually take root, is for there to be love. This really illustrates and is really brought forth in the fact that relationships are important. It magnifies the importance of relationships. You could argue that, that biblical change always happens heart change actual change always happens in the context of relationships theologians i'm told call this the covenantal model of change because if you think about it this is again what god has modeled to us god comes to a people he says these are my people he communicates with them he conveys to them what he's asking of them um, he loves them he guides them he takes care of them he but he expects two ways right you didn't stand up in front of people and make a covenant between God and man about being saved and then go hanging out with your past girlfriends. Guys, the covenant is between me and my wife. And so I show her love. She shows love to me. It's an exclusive relationship. How does that relationship grow over time? We spend time together. I don't spend time with old girlfriends. I'll 
none of them or whatever it is. Okay, all right? But I, I don't spend time with other girls or she doesn't spend time with past boyfriends. She had a lot of them. She didn't spend time with last boyfriends. Why? Because that's an exclusive relationship. But because of that exclusive relationship, there is growth that happens. But that relationship only grows when there is quality time spent together and real conversations and real doing things together, going through hard times, going through good joyous times, going through experiences of raising children or whatever it is. The point is, is that real growth takes place in the context of relationships and just the way that God relates to us and puts the value on relationships. The relationships that we have with other people just serve as the soil for growth to take place in the life of another person. But this next point here of knowing builds off of that. When I'm saying knowing here, we're talking about that getting acquainted with people. One of the things that's kind of sad is the fact that we don't really know people. Most of our relationships exist as just that. They're just acquaintances. They're passing hellos. They're, uh, and by the way, you probably do know about people. You know who that person's spouse is or you know who their children are. Maybe you've even spent some time with them. You may know some of the things about them, maybe some things that they like, some things that they dislike. But when it comes to actually knowing who they are, this is something that I would encourage you to get beyond is that casual relationship. And instead of the casual relationship, for you to actually build the connection there. Um, a good phrase, a phrase that, <clears throat> that was brought out here, that a friendship, a true friendship, is really a connection of hearts. Now, let me, I thought this was good because everybody says, okay, yeah, I need to go get, get deeper. What does that mean, get deeper? But it's getting to know more about their beliefs and goals, their hopes and their dreams. I'm thinking a lot about this in the context, we start a week from yesterday, or a week from last Friday, with the basketball team. And I'm going to be spending a lot of time with those guys. And it's going to be able to tell, I'm going to be able to get a good look at their heart by just simply asking them and finding out what their hopes and dreams are. That tells you a lot about a person's, about a person's heart. So their beliefs, their goals, their hopes, their dreams, and also their values and desires. What do you value? Most young people, when you ask them, what do you value? Uh, food and sleep. If you're around a person long enough, you'll, you'll start to realize like what they actually value. So what are their values? What are their desires? What do they like to spend their time on? Where do they like to go? How do they like to interact with other people? All of those are really getting to know the actual person there. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I think this is a great example of Christ's love for us in the fact that he wanted to know so much about what we are like and what we experience that he came to earth in fleshly form and lived through this life and was subjected to the temptations and everything else that we are so that we can, he can know what we go through. Verse 14 there, Since we then have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're going to know somebody, you're going to have to spend time with them. But have you also found that it helps when you've gone through similar experiences with them or similar experiences that they have? There's almost just like a deeper connection. You may not know the person very well, but as soon as you find out that they lost their father or they had a spouse that died or they had a child that went astray 
there's almost like an immediate connection with that person. And it's more than just being empathetic, but you have gone through similar experiences and it now allows you to be an encouragement to another person. Christ did that with us. He came to earth and went through everything, all the temptations that we face, all the heart temptations. And I think with that in mind, that maybe encourages or helps you go faster to him because he knows what you're struggling with. If you don't go quickly to him, by the way, you may want to think about this first and meditate on this a little bit more. But really getting to know somebody, it's the same thing again, our example with us in Christ, with us and other people, is to spend time with them and be around them. And you know, when you go through, again, in a sports setting, but when you go through losing, there's two things that will probably happen. One, you either end up hating each other, or if hopefully you turn things around, there's a bond that's made because you go through the highs, you go through the lows, you go through, and you know, there's a, so how do you, how can you respond by getting to know going through with the person? So follow Christ's example there. Number three, speak. This involves bringing God's word to bear on this person in this situation. I would remind you to know God's word, to know what he says about the heart, about situations, about people, about how they think, and being able to recognize the counterfeit versus what is real. Some of you have been around long enough and you know God's word long enough that when somebody, something comes out of somebody's mouth, you can immediately think, that's not right. As in, not that they're not telling the truth, but that, man, they just don't have their priorities right. Or they don't see this situation the way that God actually sees this. It's in those situations where, because I know God's word, I'm able to identify whatever the wrong heart fruit is that's coming out and then i'm able to speak into them truth from god's word i'm constantly asking myself in this situation what does god want this person to see that he or she is not seeing how can i help him or her see it those of us who are mature and even those of us who are mature we sometimes miss this we have blind spots i think it's a good idea for you to ask your spouse frequently like what are my blind spots by the way if you ask that then expect to them to tell the truth and then don't get mad at them. Okay? If you don't want to hear it, then don't ask them that in the first place. But if you have the right heart humility about it, you are asking them, like, help me see my blind spots. Because we often are blinded to our misinterpretations about things or about how things actually were or whatever it is. I do want to think through these in the context of, can you think of examples in scriptures where Christ has helped people see the truth either through like stories or maybe even through like questioning them. We talked about the rich young man last week. I thought of another one. I don't know if I, if I ended up mentioning this one, but the woman at the well, but she comes to the well and what does she think she needs? Physical. Water, right? Physical help. I need water. And he says, no, 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 this is what you need. And by the way, you know how I know this? It's because of all this. Wow. And then he provides for her what she actually needs there. Follow Christ's example. Help them to see the reality of who they are and the glory of what he can do for them. By the way, this doesn't mean like making grand pronouncements. I think this goes back to the how I communicate this to other people. I know of some people who they like to almost serve as detectives. They like to analyze things and figure out what's wrong with this person. And then once I figure it out, here's your problem. Making a grand pronouncement about somebody's actions, behaviors, or heart problems doesn't help them. 
Now, it, does, it is helpful to be in, insightful and look into things and figure out maybe what is really behind the situation, but it's more than that. If lasting place is gonna, gonna, uh, gonna be achieved, we need to help them understand by looking at God's word. This isn't about you. This is about God's word. Hey, let me show you in God's word. It serves as a mirror, right? Let me show you from God's word why this is something that probably that maybe needs to be addressed in our life. Or maybe this is, this is how you think about this, but in actuality, this is what God's word says about it. Now, how do you think we should respond in this situation? And the last step here, so finally, do something with what he, with what he has learned. So do, help that person do something with what they have learned. Um, what does James tell us in 122? Yeah, don't only be hearers of the word, but doers. It's one thing for me to show God's word to them and then for them to say, all right, thanks. Somebody, so, there may be some people in your life who need a little like encouragement. Here, this is what you need to actually do with it now. Or maybe as soon as God teaches you something from his word or uses somebody else in your life, you get an immediate opportunity to react the right way. Right? Um, you read something in God's word that morning or somebody has a conversation to you about responding with humility and with patience. And what happens five minutes later? You're going to find this out. Your kid starts screaming all over the place and goes to the bathroom on the floor. And we'll see. Is there, is there a due response that you're going to? Is there going to be an opportunity for change? And, and sometimes when the kid does go to the bathroom on the floor, you get upset. But you know what? I get upset a whole lot less and am no big deal a whole lot more now than I was with Barrett in year one. I think that's the two being honest about growth and change over time. How does God work? God does not work like this. This is your problem. Now fix it. Be perfect from now on. That's just not how it works. I'm going to ask you for, so go ahead and start thinking about this. I'm an example of how God has worked or has used another person with this uh, love and know, speak and do to change you or to maybe it was an opportunity for you to see growth in somebody else in a situation similar to that. So do there. Help them apply the insights. If it is a young person or a young Christian, they may not know exactly how to apply what you're communicating to them. I think we have for a long time done people a disservice where we help them just memorize verses and then that should fix their problem. There was a whole series on this, what, three years ago about connecting the dots that the ladies went through. Most of us, if not all of us, need help connecting the dots. It is not enough for us to just to throw Bible verses or Bible truths at people, either because of varying previous knowledge that they have about Scripture or they just don't know what to do. By the way, that's called wisdom, right? And we all need that. God asks us or tells us to ask for wisdom on a daily basis. And so you can be maybe the wisdom that the person needs to actually apply those insights. So the last step there is to help them do. All right, so summarize everything that we've discussed to this point here is God has called us to be an ambassador to represent his message, his methods, his character. Ambassadors are able to identify negative fruit and move that person along to that positive fruit, not by fixing problems externally, but helping them change in the heart. And that can take time. And the way that we go about doing this is through that love, know, speak, do model that follows Christ's example of how he works and behaves with us and with his children. So application, this is like the making it real part for each of these sections here. And this is the question that will lead into the one that I just described for you. But why do you think are some of the reasons why external change is appealing to us? We, we can make ourselves look good to others. Yeah. 
That is the most obvious thing to other people. And so when other people think that, then they think better of you. Or I've heard of some sometimes who you change something externally, other people see it, they give you that positive reinforcement of, man, it looks like there's some change going on in your life. And then you falsely think that everything's okay. That's a bad one too. Joel? Yeah, it kind of goes along right with that. Like it eases our conscience. Like, all right, okay, yeah, I don't have to worry about this anymore. It's quicker, right? This is this is quicker. I'm going a lot with sports today. Hope you're okay with that. If this isn't working, what do we do? Throw in a new play, and the new play fixes everything, right? No, you still can't block. You still can't hold on to the football. You still can't throw, and you still can't run. That new play is not going to fix anything. You're like, well, we got this new play and it worked this one time. That was an accident. <laughs> okay? Your team still can't do all of the fundamental skills, and that's why your team stinks. So we come up with this new, well, I'm going to do this, and this is going to fix everything. But the fundamental skills in your life weren't changed or weren't. By the way, how do you fix fundamental skills, Mike? You Reps. practice them over and over and over. And then, by the way, you don't just practice them. It is not enough for me to just turn and keep handing the football off to Mike and him become a better running back. You have to throw defenders in there and he gets to have to have experience in games. This is like in real life. I need real reps, game-like reps to get better at things. So maybe even when you're working with somebody, you're saying to them, hey, over this next week, in between the time when we meet, I'm going to do this with you at the end. Will we meet from now until next week? Let's go out and get some reps on this in real life games and get better at this. It is one thing for us to all sit here and nod our heads when the Sunday school teacher or the preacher says, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then to go out and not get any reps on it. I got, I got plenty of that with kids in film sessions. Hey, you should have been doing this, you should have been doing this, or I'll sit there, yeah, 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 coach, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go out and they don't do anything because we don't give rep, get reps on it. All right, can you think of an instance in which maybe God's dealt with you or with somebody that you've known maybe giving you the opportunity to do this, love, no, speak, do model? I have seen uh, past experiences in certain organizations that when they want to identify sin, they want to eradicate the sinner. Not the sin, they want to eradicate the sinner. And how do we go about doing that? Well, we give you discipline or we punish you or we give you a certain number of demerits or we whatever, and the, kid doesn't, the kid's heart doesn't change because we never address the heart. We were, we were concerned really, they wouldn't have said this, but they were really concerned with like what it looked like or what it appeared to other people but it didn't help the kid at all in the long run because it wasn't even handled with, with grace. It wasn't even, we didn't address the actual issue that was the problem. And the long-term effects was nothing changed. And in a lot of those situations that repulsed the kid or the younger person, Mike, if he came to you and was harsh and was like, you need to get rid of that sin in your life or whatever that struggle was that you had, you wouldn't have been like, oh, thank you, Brother Miller. For, thank you, Pastor Miller, for helping me with that. It would have probably turned you away. Um, here's something that I've been thinking about recently, again, in the context of sports, but with our team. But if I come to in a situation as the ambassador rather than the fixer of the problem, then when the, when the person's problem isn't fixed right away or they still respond in anger, what I have frequently found is that the, the person who's there to fix the problem, or in my case, the coach, you end up feeling or thinking disrespected. Like, how could, you do, how could you still act that way towards me? And that snowballs into something that's not very good. Because again, God does not deal with us that way. I think it's the long suffering and understanding that change takes time and takes a lot of work 
that ends up allowing or helping me as the person who's there to serve as the instrument to, be, to, to adjust my expectations and to be willing to work with the person for long terms or an extended period of time because I understand that God works at his timing, not my timing. I would encourage you this week to take this challenge, to think about a setting. It could be a one-on-one -on -one setting. It could be you working with a group of team members that you have, um, a work group or whatever it is, but think about a setting and think about, next one there, the people that are in that setting and how you relate with one another are my conversations with those people, typically just those like short-term, like casual relationships. Um, instead, can I start talking biblically with these people? Can we start, can I strategize? Can I start to think about like, okay, so what are some, what are some conversations that we need to have with each other to where we build true friendships and get to know each other? By the way, the excuse for this is not just to build friendships so I can get people change, so I can change people, all right? Or to change people the way so that my friendships, that's the last point there, the pray. I don't want you to go through like five steps and like, oh, we got better, we have a better friendship now or we have better relationships now. That's not the point of this. To actually see heart change in these people. And again, I'm thinking about this this year, the basketball boys. It's more than just having them over to our house or talking, having a devotional time with them. That, that's not that's not going to do it. I'm going to need to have some real conversations with people and ask people how they're doing and and find out what their hopes and their dreams and their goals are and what their aspirations are and what they're struggling with and all those things that we just talked about about like really getting to know the person. I've got to cater my conversations to those types of things. Can you do that with one person? Maybe somebody in your household. One person, one group, whatever. Can you apply, start applying this stuff that we're, we're talking about here into your conversations and into the opportunities that God's given to you?